Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Alva. I'm Anoush, and I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the New Statesman podcast. On today's episode, we discuss Boris Johnson's proposals for tackling crime. And you ask us, why do so many people in Westminster think there will be a general election in 2023? So we are now in the first week of recess. Boris Johnson emerged into the news desert to announce a raft of measures to improve policing and combat crime yesterday. Stephen, you were covering it. I'm wondering what you what you made of, of his announcement. It was a bit of a mixed bag, right? In the this is gonna be a horrendously Blairite episode from me. There was lots of I thought kind of quite good stuff that we we know works from other bits of public sector reform. So yeah, the idea of everyone having yeah, if you're a victim of crime, you have a named police officer is I mean, okay, even though anyone who has a GP in a major city will just be like, I have a named GP. Since when? But the idea, you know, which we see in social work after baby pee, we obviously, you know, if you go to a parent's evening, you'll, you don't just have a situation where they go like, oh, just find a teacher, talk to them about your kid, and maybe they'll have some relevant information. The idea of having a named police officer, good. There's this suggestion that how quickly a force response to 999 calls will go into its league tables. The police already have a thing like Ofsted. They have Peel reports in which this is already a metric. So public sector targets are good ways of driving up performances in the, the very narrow confines of what the target, what the thing you want them to do is. The problem is, is that I am yet to speak to anyone in criminal justice policy, whether they're a serving police officer, magistrate, lawyer, yes, victim support agency, et cetera, et cetera, who say, say, oh yeah, the real problem we have now is people responding to emergency calls. The thing they all say is the real problem we have now is that, you know, if they're the police, they say, I never have any time to actually, you know, catch any criminals. If they're <laughs> victim support, they're like, yeah, the police arrive and then they're rubbish and they don't catch any criminals. You know, if magistrates, they go, you know, the courts are overloaded and, you know, we, we're essentially made to be the, the sort of servants of this sort of form, which means you have to kind of rush through everything and people aren't getting fair trials. But the one bit of the process that I think it is not really accurate to say we need, you know, another sort of another kind of thing on is probably the emergency calls bit. But I think actually in some ways the most revealing bit about the problem are the kind of confirmation of the sort of changes to stop and search. 
Now, in the middle of the 2010 Parliament, Theresa May as Home Secretary introduced a raft of reforms to stop and search as part of her bid to reduce the racial disproportionality of searches. Uh, This wasn't the first time that the Home Office had tried to do it, but it was the first time that they managed to achieve the kind of holy grail, as it were, of reducing the disproportionality, not as much as they would have liked, but reducing the disproportionality, while not reducing the total number of arrests at the end of the process. And I think it it kind of sums up the sort of vapidity of this agenda, that there is no new money, right? Like, if you want to have named police officer for every victim of crime, you're going to need a lot more police officers and a lot more administrators, because at the moment, you speak to police officers and they say, you know, in addition to the fact that I'm essentially just an on-call social worker now... I also am my own on-call HR department, form-filling department, and a bunch of stuff I just used to hand in when I arrived at the station to a professional person. I now just have to do myself, and I probably do it badly. I think, you know, in addition to the lack of ambition financially, that the the central news line is them going, yeah, we actually, we yeah, we had some partial successes with our reform agenda in the last decade. Oh, well, that's over now. Back to number go up policing. I, I think kind of sums up and this, yeah, lacks lacks both sufficient ambition and sufficient money to achieve the things about it that are good. That was my kind of general impression of it, just looking at the the sort of the announcement and the, the detail of it. I really agreed with what you wrote in your piece. And, and, I, and I do agree that some of the things, you know, are would be positive measures if there, if there was ever the clout behind them to actually introduce them. Name police officers is, is such a, I almost think it's almost like an emblem among the English public at least you know when when I go around the country or or you know used to do that more so before covid often that is what people will say you know we used to know the the policemen in our area we used to know know them by name police officer sorry very sexist of me that's disappeared along with other other similarities across the public sector like you know losing your family doctor and having to see a different doctor every time you go to the GP, for example. So I think that that's obviously something that the public want and would be useful. But like you say, I mean, there's a reason why we don't have that anymore. And that's because of a lack of resources. And I've not seen anything in these announcements, which a lot of them are re-announcements that suggest that there is there is going to be that funding that allows that to happen. But we'll see. And then what I also found interesting about these announcements is that they were very it was almost sort of paint by numbers. It's crime week in Downing Street. You know, the things that they announced, <laughs> Boris Johnson using the phrase chain gangs, you know, to, to describe prisoners out on community service, sort of, you know, with high-vis jackets on to show the public that they've done something bad and now they're trying to atone for it, was, I thought, telling, because I don't think they're going to be chaining them like like you'd imagine chain gangs would look like. And then, yeah, this sort of emphasis on kind of street cleaning and burglars having tags on and things like that and sobriety tags too for for people who with addiction i mean we know that <laughs> these things aren't going to be solving those issues but of course you know it's not going to have the same i don't think from downing street's perspective it's not going to have the same impact in terms of which papers pick it up and how it's framed if they start talking about better funding addiction services or cbt better housing and employment support for people who are coming out of prison rethinking the way that we give sentences the court system which you mentioned stephen just the delays for people's court dates like people being denied justice people having to drop cases because they have to wait so long Prisoners kept in remand prisons for so long, that's such a big problem because they can't be part of rehabilitation programs on on remand. And you do think they've kind of overlooked the things that we actually know are 
solutions to some of the problems that they say they want to solve, like for reoffending or for the public feeling safe, for example. So it's kind of clear that the thinking has been more on sort of what looks good rather than what works. And that is always obviously the problem with with crime policy. And I think the Labour Party's response has been really interesting because they've been obviously focusing quite hard on on crime recently, particularly the appalling rape charge and conviction figures and the same for domestic violence as well, as well as making hay out of the police federation's loss of confidence in in Pretty Patel over their pay. And I think anti-social behaviour will be probably one of the big next focuses for each of the parties. I know I was speaking to a, a shadow cabinet member yesterday and who was saying that once they have the figures there for, for anti-social behaviour, because that's anecdotally it's been going up, then that will be something that they can really hit the government with because it's such a outward sign for anyone who may not be affected by serious crime or know much about the prison or court system. They know that there's sort of low-level crime happening in their area and they don't like it. I mean, that was a theme at, at the Batley and Spen by-election as well, sort of people revving their engines and speeding up and down streets or openly you know, dealing drugs on residential streets and things like that. So we, we, I think this is going to be one of the big themes. And if the government really does want to focus on crime like it has this week, then it's going to have to answer for problems and trends like that. So I think this could be a, like a really vulnerable point for them. Yeah, I remember, I think we've talked about this before, um, Anush, I think maybe when Stephen was away, but definitely in Batley and Spen, the people on the ground, on on the labour side, could tell that antisocial behaviour was a key priority for voters there. And in the this is in the days before the the changes to to Keir Starmer's top team, and they found that it was like sort of trying to wade through treacle, trying to get some sort of announcement from. Keir, mm. which they eventually did secure, but people cited it as an example of them being able to identify the kind of message and policy that they needed to be announcing loudly during that campaign and just how difficult it was to get him to actually talk about it, even though he eventually did. But yeah, I think that that's a, a quite concrete example of the way this is going to be quite a big issue as I think, I mean, COVID's so very much happening but it it does seem like the politicians on basically all all sides feel like there's a bit of a return to normal politics at the moment and and that and this could be one of the new big issues. I think Labour's response to it is is quite an interesting part of it. Stephen do you think that you've been saying for a while that crime should be their sort one of their number one focuses do you think they're kind of getting wise to that and do you think that's something that they're going to carry on sort of like punching the bruise yeah so of the sort of what politicians are trying to call high salience i.e stuff people care about broadly public services health and education labor is more trusted on that and so that's why one of the things that parties than the you know the conservatives try and sort of throw that issue into neutral and the Labour party tries to bump them up the issues of, of concern with the conservatives issues like the economy yeah, security, those tend to be issues than broadly. They have a sort of inbuilt, yeah, they, they tend to have a stronger lead on and the Labour Party tends to just try and knock those into neutral. Whereas crime is sort of the swing salience issue, as it were. Yeah, throughout political history, it's the one which neither party has, has, has been able to definitively own. And so you kind of see this, you know, both when parties have, have won uh, elections, but also even when they've had, you know, good forward strides, you know, in 2017, right? Um, yeah, part part of of the difference between 2017 
2015 and 2019 was that the Conservatives had managed to ameliorate their problem on crime, albeit temporarily. Now, that is in part because of the new people in Keir Starmer's office. But actually, in the sort of that bit of the shadow team, the thing that they've been very aware of and they've wanted to prioritise is maintaining and building relationships with, you know, Police Federation, various figures in the world of policing in order to, you know, be better positioned to kind of then do the sort of front footed look here's why you're rubbish stuff on crime. It is going to be really important for all of the reasons you set out. I think what was really striking about it, and you, you summed it up really well, was the kind of the way that this, this this just very much like it was like, hey, it's we would like the Labour Party to stop giving us a hard time on crime week. Because I, I, I think, you know, although there is, and I do need to, you know, get my act together, and I mean, there are so many things I need to get my act together and actually blog on the politics of, but I need to get my act together and blog on the politics of the crime stuff from the Labour perspective, because... Although there is a lot of thinking about, you know, their own policy position, reform of the police, someone who works for in, someone in the shadow cabinet told me that they'd counted the number of non-COVID policy announcements they'd made in the year, and they had met, made last year, and they'd made two hundred of them. I thought, okay, well, this is such a phenomenal stat, I should, I should check. Now, it may not be true because, candidly, when I got to announcement one hundred and twenty, I thought, if you're exaggerating at one hundred and twenty-one. I am willing not to have to go through these press releases to find that out. Yeah, like, <laughs> the problem is sufficiently acute, right? But so despite the fact that, you know, and I don't resolve from any of my criticisms about how they've had, they had too many policies in the first year, I do think on crime, having a sort of distinct set of here's how we would reform and improve policing as something they sort of announce, you know, big, you know, big speech of the kind, you know, Michael Gove saying, actually it was, it was David Willits who said, yeah, Grammar schools, they're rubbish. They're not coming back. Here's our new approach on it. Because it, it just slightly changes how all of these crime stories are framed. Although if I were the Labour Party, I'd feel optimistic about this week because visibly this was a defensive announcement. The policy agenda is quite weak and the, the policy agenda has regressed from where it was under There under both David Cameron and, and Theresa May as Prime Minister. But obviously, yeah, the kind of long-term Theresa May police and crime agenda, which which continued on and both. And I would therefore feel optimistic if I were the Labour Party, then, you know, they're not going to be ambitious on reform. They're not going to be ambitious on money. But they nonetheless were still, I thought at times dangerously this week, very much, you know, like it's important to have a good relationship with the stakeholders, not least because if you announce something on crime, then the police federation like has a go at both sides. You've blunted the power of the police federation going, we have no confidence in, in Pretty Patel. But, I did feel some of their response to the named police officer stuff in particular was very kind of classic Labour, like producer interest. Oh, you know, this will be difficult for the police officers because there'll be, and just like, well, it'll be difficult for the police officers because there aren't enough of them. But you know, it's really reasonable that if my car gets nicked, right? I think car theft is something that is really going to become a huge problem for the government because you cannot make a car disappear in the modern world. You would have a situation where someone can like basically pick up the phone and go, but look, I can see where my car is. Could you go and arrest the person who has my car? And it doesn't happen. I think that kind of stuff is, is has the potential to be really acute, but they need to get into a position where they're, they're able to go, we are acting and the Conservatives are reacting, as opposed to the kind of the one problem I thought for them of this week was, you know, you have a series of some quite good ideas, one terrible idea and no money to, to make any of the ideas possible. And Labour's response essentially being, oh, well, you know, you can't make people who work in the public sector have to do that. You know, accountability, that's very 2008. Um, but they, they do get them. It's important. There is interesting thinking on it. And I think, you know, it is 
yeah, I kind of think, right, the the big question of the next five, four, how many years it is, is going to be, will the next election be a public services election? And there are there are things about that which are in control of, of the opposition party, things about that which are in the control of the governing party, a lot more than in the control of the governing party, and some stuff which is just events. But ultimately, the crime stuff is an integral part of how they can make the next election about the condition of the public realm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think the challenge there for Labour is is obviously the challenge that faces anyone who's trying to reduce crime, which is how much do you lean in rhetorically on the tough on the causes of crime section of fighting crime, you know, so the stuff that might make tabloids describe you as soft on crime, the stuff that's more about changing society than, you know, banging up criminals, for example. And what's really interesting is that it's the 10th anniversary of the England riots coming up next Friday. And I've been doing some work on um, how much has changed since then in terms of the societal factors that were identified as having contributed to the riots breaking out. And, you know, the picture doesn't look good in terms of 10 years of conservative government and how they haven't managed to engage with a lot of the issues that, that led to led to what happened or at least contributed to what happened. And it's it's up to Labour to sort of very cleverly or sort of deftly frame its arguments about that so that it doesn't look soft on crime, but it is offering, like you say, an actual alternative sort of set of proposals that sound realistic and attractive to the public and, and is difficult for, say, the police federation or even the, the government to, to oppose. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. Don't forget that on Mondays, you can continue to listen to our special series with Armando Anucci, Westminster Reimagined. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call You You Ask Ask Us. Us. So this is a question from Adam. Thanks, Adam. Why do some in Westminster think there'll be a 2023 election? I think this is a great question. Thanks for sending it in, Adam. And I think it's a perfect example of well, I mean, I'm not. I'm going to speak for myself here, but I think it's a perfect example of being a, a journalist and kind of accepting Westminster wisdom without actually wondering why. I've just been told by a number of sources who work in Parliament that they believe, and the general consensus is that there will be a early election, or you know, an election not in 2024, but earlier than that. And the likelihood is that it will be. 2023 and I've just kind of accepted it but I've never actually really thought about the timing or what it means or or whether or not that's necessarily even true so I'm glad that you sent it in from what I can 
gather some of the thinking is that the Conservatives will not want to leave too much time between the waning days of the pandemic, we hope, and I am actually touching wood here, and the next general election, because there is obviously going to be an impact on the economy, on jobs. And I suppose they they want to try and ride on the wave of, of having been the governing party under whose watch the pandemic sort of waned. But I don't know whether or not that's the reasoning you guys have heard. Yeah, I suppose the, the reasoning I have heard is is similar, but it's more to do with how the Conservatives might seek to frame the next election, which I which is I think that the assumption on as far as I can tell the Conservative and the Labour side is that Boris Johnson and Co will go into the next election asking for a second term, which obviously it wouldn't be, but to frame it that way and to sort of frame it in terms of we have just got started on increasing the numbers of police on the streets, on building hospitals, on this levelling up agenda, you know, give us your vote so that we can finish the job. And that that would be more difficult if they left it later because people could turn around and say, but what have you actually done with this term? Why are you only getting started now? That's I think that's the impression that I get from the Conservative side and also from Labour who are very worried about how they counter that. I suppose there's already been sort of tallies of how many manifesto promises they've actually managed to deliver on and how little legislation they've actually passed that's not about COVID-19. And I suppose that excuse of, well, we had to fight an unprecedented pandemic kind of starts running out the longer you leave it. One of the things that is always enjoyable about working in Westminster is the capacity for obviously slightly silly ideas to gain purchase. CF, there is a majority to stop Brexit in the 2017 parliament. There obviously wasn't. It had been demonstrated there wasn't on lot time. But so many different people across the Brexit tribes, you know, from, you know, basically from, from the Lib Dems sort of almost ending up kind of memeing themselves into watching in horror as the parliament passed the withdrawal agreement, uh, Boris Johnson's withdrawal agreement on the second reading, to Dominic Cummings going to the ERG, oh, you'd be strategic idiots if you didn't vote for May's deal because this parliament will 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 stop Brexit. You know, it, it's this or lose Brexit. But the kind of, the germ of people thinking it is that the Rishi Sunak's budget timetable very obviously does create the conditions for a, oh, we've done all of that painful stuff. Now we can have a giveaway budget going into the summer of 2023. So in terms of the sort of classic 1980s election, right, you have your budget, yeah, you kind of dip your toe into the water of the local elections. You go, the water is warm and lovely. Time for an election. Now there's a couple of important things. So the first isn't changes to electoral law mean you, you couldn't legally do the, the May to June switcheroo than the Conservatives did under un, under in, in both 83 and 87. But you could do something a bit like it. And the budget timetable does kind of clearly presuppose it. What I think has then happened a bit is that every silly idea in Westminster has as its germ a sensible idea, right? Which is the it was true to say that the 2017 Parliament was not going to permit no deal. And then it would vote to kick the can down the road wherever possible. And then this kind of then got exaggerated in the mind of someone going, oh, well, there's, this means that there's no majority for a Brexit. And people kind of went, oh, that means that there's for, is a majority for no Brexit. And I think then you, you can't see you know people suggesting that it might be next year. 
Yeah, I've heard that. And it's just like one of those things where it's just like, well, like I think what the really important thing to about why that wouldn't happen is the parliamentary party just, yeah, the Conservatives just would not, would not go for it. Because, yeah, if you think about fact and what, there are basically three messages you can have if you are a government seeking to be re-elected. A lot more, a lot done, a lot more left to do, which will essentially be the message they want to have, you know, the as Alva lays out the, you know, re-elect us after our first term. The life's better under the Conservatives, don't let Labour ruin it. Yeah, which, you know, the Conservative campaign in 50, 59, yeah, 59, 87, 83, Labour campaign 2001, 2005, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have the kind of, to use one of the phrases they they focus grouped at the same time as they were focus grouping get Brexit done, end the uncertainty, Right. Things are chaotic. They're chaotic because we don't have a big enough majority, which in different ways is the winning message in 2019, 2015. And now I suppose you could argue 55. I think, yeah, I think it is plausible that an election could be held at the end of the budget timetable if you believe two things. One, that the budget timetable will be delivered on time. And it is quite a steer. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't bet on it. And two, then if it is delivered on time, that at the end of that process, the governing party is going, yep, time for an early one. Not, hey, maybe we should just, you know, wait, just see if something comes up in the in the in the fifth in the fifth year. Which I just think taken together is an awfully big those those are two quite large assumptions. And then you ultimately have the fact that the Prime Minister there's a big difference between the political and economic strategy as envisaged by the Treasury and by Rishi Sunak, who has a clear sense of what he wants to accomplish politically and in policy terms and the political strategy as envisaged by Boris Johnson and Downing Street where I think it is less clear that they have a sense of what they want to accomplish politically and at some point the fact of an early election I think founders against the fact that for it to happen the prime minister rather than the chancellor has to be the one laying the groundwork for it and i just think you know the the anxiety so many tory mp's have and i think they're right to have about the next election is that they simply won't have done very much and then i just don't really buy this argument that then the ducks will all be in a row for the risk of of going okay even though the other hill i will die on is going in the fourth year it's not early but i just think that the appetite for going oh well yeah look it's the safe move to wait until year five i think is a lot stronger than people think but that is the origin i think of the belief is that the budget points that election then been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Alva Ray, our Britain editor, Anusha Kellyan, and our political editor, Stephen Bush. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trust in politics is broken, so can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. 
Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.